Welcome along to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Kevin Byrne. You now, Katie Taylor isn't the only Irish champion who's finally getting a homecoming on May the 20th after fighting all over the world to date. Kildare man Dennis Hogan has been waiting even longer for this opportunity. Hogan, who started his pro career in Australia in 2011, has racked up 36 fights to date, but has yet to box back in Ireland. That will all change on the Katie Taylor versus Chantel, uh, Chantel Cameron bill at the Three Arena, though. The Hurricane will defend his IBO World Light Middleweight title against Liverpool's James Metcalf on a huge night for Irish boxing. As well as his 29 bouts down under, Hogan has also fought in Germany, Mexico and the USA. It's been a rocky road back to Dublin, where I first met Dennis at the National Stadium as an amateur many, many years ago, Dennis. Uh, but we're back. We're back. We we've made it. We've we've made it back. How how fitting um, for for this podcast to be called Rocky Road to Dublin because for as long as I went professional, I've dreamed of coming back and fighting in Dublin. And funny enough, it was the um, it was the Tree Arena. Uh, it wasn't the, that at the time. It was the point. But I, I dreamt. I, I used to dream of coming back and defending a world title there. And um, as you said, you know, it, like, or as the name is the podcast, Rocky Road, it has been the rockiest of roads. And um, But I'm glad I stayed it out. And uh, it's great to be on the podcast with you, man. Yeah, it's great to finally get you after we were on the go a long time. I always had the intention of having you on soon. And uh, here, here we are. Dennis, you um, you did seem to dream this into reality. You've, you've almost manifested it. Because I've done stories with you where you've outlined that dream as long as kind of like eight, nine years ago. I saw a story, a headline, from the Irish Independent there today, just before talking to you, the same thing, 2017, I'm going to win this next fight, I think it was for the WBO versus maybe Mungia. I'm going to win the WBO World Light Midweight title and defend it at the Three Arena back in Dublin. So you seem to have dreamed this vision into reality. Yeah, that's it. Look, and, and uh, I was even, uh, I even did an interview back in 2012 when I was home in April of 2012, uh, with John McNally um, for for a paper, and I said I even said the song. I said, "Come back to three. I don't know what it was called back then, but I even said that, and I said that's that's how far back this goes. I want to win a world title. I said I wouldn't go back and fight there until I won a, I had a world title strap, and I can get back and defend it. And um, and it's happened. But here's the funny thing, mate. Like had I had I actually got that decision in Mexico. It, it probably wasn't likely I could have had my next fight back in Ireland. So the way the way that all happened and the way you know I kept going at it and uh, got the title and now here it is ready for Katie to have her homecoming and it just opened the door for for everything to happen the way it was supposed to. And the, I mean the first fight was meant to be in Crow Park and that you know that was going to be fantastic. But when I heard it was the Tree Arena. I said, yeah, that's well, that's exactly the way I envisioned it. So um, many, many times and nearly every single day for all that time. So it's funny how things work out, but I did visualize it and here we are. Did you have the, the kind of visual aids? Did you write it on a post-it note and stick it on your uh, fridge? Did you tattoo it somewhere on, on the body? Three arena world champion. What did you do? Like, how did you uh, how did you make the dream become a reality or how did it play a part so- in your daily life? I mean, I started off with affirmations and all that kind of stuff. So I have it written down quite a lot. Then I had a mission statement. I wrote a mission statement, uh, a good one back in 2016. But then I've nitpicked on that mission statement. And if I don't get the chance to read it every day, um, I, I can I can say it over anyway, what my goals are. And you sort of visualize it too. You put a bit of energy into it. I go, like, I, as I've gotten older, I've had to start. <laughs> 
uh, uh, doing walks in the evening to, to make weight and stuff. And oh, I could yeah. walk five to eight Ks there. I did seven Ks before I got on here. That's not including my, my cardio session. It's not including my boxing session. Just extra bit of walking because it just gets that little bit harder every year. And um, a lot of times I visualize, you know, beating my opponents and uh, being in the place and the walkout and the whole feel of it. And, um, I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say at this age, Dennis. You've uh, you've started writing down things to remember them, which would. Uh, now you're talking my language. You know? <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> the notes app on the phone. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Look, it's it's not that bad yet, but um, look, it's it's obvious. It's obvious, but like it, it just comes to me naturally. The passion is still there. There's still a few boxes to take in. I visualized them, and uh, here's one of them coming off. Uh, we got a big one last October, a box ticked, and, um, and now it's after this, you know, have a good win, um, God willing, and, and then we kick on again and look for more belts. That, that was always the goal, and that's still the goal today. So you visualised the walkout at the Three Arena. Have you been at a pro boxing event at the Three Arena yet, or at the old point, one of the Bernard Dunn nights or anything like that? Well, it's funny, right? <clears throat> so one of the um, I was at two Barnard Dunn nights. I was at three all up, but I was at I was at one in the National Stadium when he made his return to Dublin. Then I was at one where he fought, he defended his European title belt, um, and then I was at the next one with the Kiko Martinez one. I actually, we had a friend got us ringside seats. Ross Hickey got us ringside seats for that one, but uh, it was it was a short lived one. But but Bernard was a uh, Massive fan of Bernard and um, uh, geez, it'd be great if he was here at this one. But anyway, no, that was um, so. I think, so I think I've, Bernard, been in, I think, I've been in that venue. Sorry? I think Don Kiko had um, possibly the greatest lineup of of undercard fighters on the night. I think I think both Lee and Macklin might have fought, and McCluskey, Brian McGee, like mm. world champions, world title challengers. Like it was, yeah. it was packed. Unfortunately, the main event yeah. didn't really go to plan for the fans, but it was uh, the best of the best yeah. in Irish boxing on the night were there. Kind of like yeah, the, yeah. what's going to happen on this one. Well, that's well, that's it, and to, to come back and do it again. But I'll also say that there was a there was a there was a really good video of Andy Lee coming out. I think it was, it might have been the Three Arena, uh, or it might have been somewhere else, but didn't matter anyway. It just gave me the feel of the Three Arena. You see him standing there, the cameras behind, and he just looks into the audience, and he's he's just about to walk out, and then he walks out. I don't actually know where he was fighting, but. That that always just struck a chord with me of of how it would sort of feel. I kind of used that gave me goosebumps a little bit. That was a really cool feeling for me. That happened like back in twenty fourteen, I think, and um, I think I used that feeling to to put to my own visualization of walking into that place and uh, getting out there. And vi I visualized. I actually always thought it would be Spike O'Sullivan. So it's funny because in in, in my weight category, everybody's taller. Nearly everybody's taller, but because I thought it was going to be Spike O'Sullivan that I'd defend against, uh, I had that height exactly in my head that I'd be, and I'd visualize fighting and, and boxing someone of that height. And funnily enough, um, Metcalf is then around that height. So, so even all those visualizations are all around the same thing, too. So, yourself and Spike would have been an interesting uh, showdown. It, w it would have been, um, yeah. I think, th the first time two Irish boxers came up against each other in a for a world title belt and you know it would have been two two stalwarts of the game really who um who both your major debuts in around the same time i think spike even before you but you know you've yeah. both been around the world fought and you know he's fought in britain and also went to the states and you know fought all over canada i think he boxed too so spike has been there and done that that would have been um quite an explosive clash i think it yeah it, it really would have 
it, I, look, I still think it's a destiny fight. I really do. Um, uh, it's a pity. I wanted it. He wanted it. Um, you know, I, I, I consider the guys, you know, friends, um, uh, Pascal Collins and that. Um, but, you know, it'd be great to just put that aside for one night and, and have a great fight. It's a pity. Um, I, I don't think, well, he wasn't with Matchroom anyway. So, you know, Matchroom are obviously going to advocate their fighter first up. But um, uh, is that I think why do you think it, is that why you, I was going to say yeah why why hasn't it taken place for this one I suppose it's good if you can get through this one to keep it keep it for Crow Park if Crow Park is to eventually take place as well that I mean that would be the goal that that would be that would be absolutely ideal um, and like what a fight you know Spike's a massive massive name over there as well um, um, you know he's got a great following and all that and then you know myself and him head to head in Crow Park I I think it would just be phenomenal so you know hopefully everything goes well for him there I think he might have had a bit of an injury um, if he can come back from that injury and get himself in position I would certainly give him the fight but um, you know that, that has to happen first and I that, um, that's out of my control so So it is JJ Metcalf son of Shane Neary the famous uh, boxer from Liverpool born in Dublin uh, so Metcalf is is coming in almost like he's got an Irish connection. He sees himself as kind of part Irish. Uh, he's 34 years old, so he's, he's a veteran like yourself, Dennis. And uh, in 2021, he had kind of like a similar time, almost like yourself, when he fought him. Um, you know, when you took the you took the loss to Mongolia, but and uh, JJ Metcalf, I spoke to him the other day at the press conference, and he thinks he won the fight, as do as does nearly everybody around the world. So we, we'll we'll park that one. But after that, you know, you came back against. Uh, Jamal Charlo, uh, punishing night against Charlo in, in New York, and then another night, uh, another difficult night at the office against Tim Zhu in uh, in Newcastle, I believe. He had almost, I'm going to say, similar. He had um, losses to Ted Cheeseman and Kieran Conway. Now, quite not quite at the same level as the losses you took, but he he considered packing it in at that stage. But much like yourself, he's ba- bounced back now with a couple of wins on the trot, and I think he's coming to Dublin quite confident of doing the job on you. Yeah, look, um, well, that's it. I mean, this is boxing, and and uh, you know, you got to go after the bigger, the biggest fights. But <clears throat> for me, it's funny because, um, like, so we had the Mongia fight, which was put down as a loss, wasn't really. Then I got pitched heavily to go to to go up to middleweight, and he was number one ranked fighter on Boxrec and WBC world champion at the time, and I had a feeling that it would just be too much. And on fight night, the size difference between the two of us was just incredible. And um, even though I'd won a few rounds, um, you know, he was just so big. It was And to fight at that level for someone so big, uh, it, it was a massive task. And so um, that didn't go our way. That was, that, that's okay. We had the Tim Zhu fight, and we all know what he's after doing. But um, so I, I'd gone to America Throughout the uh, throughout COVID and was meant to fight Julian Williams for a world title eliminator, and after being there for seven weeks, he pulled out. Uh, he had COVID apparently. Um, then I come back. I meant to have uh, uh, another fight, and I got I had to uh, inspire. I I done my meniscus, and then <laughs> so then we so then we 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 locked in the fight with with Tim Zhu, and um, six weeks out, I break my nose. Uh, uh, before the fight so um, it was one of those things where after I lost to Tim fair play to him he won a fight and he you know he was very strong and 
and he got me out of there. And um, you know, I, but I'd never felt tired in the in the second or third round before in my whole life. I shouldn't should never have jumped in with a broken nose. I don't regret it now because it's, I I am where I am, and I'm happy enough with all that. But at the end of that fight, it was like, right on paper, there's three losses. There's really two losses to my name now, and it does does not feel good. And it's like similar to JJ. It was like. I had a friend sit me down. Just we just had a chat. He goes, "Have you talked about what you want to do after boxing?" And that was like that was like you know that was like a ball of lightning to me. I was not ready to hear those words because the passion was so strong in me. So I actually I actually sat back and had a little bit of thing. Uh, I thought about about it a little bit, and I thought, well, you know what? I mean, apart from Mungia, right? I had, I had, I had, um, I had Charlo, right? You know, middleweight. So, so there was that, and then I went to. I had eighteen months off before I went to fight him, and I fought him with a broken nose. So, was I at my best for those fights? So I could see where I truly was. Well, no, not at all. So I said, right, we're going to go one more time, and I said it in all the fights. If I don't get to where I I believe I should be. And um, by doing everything right, well then, um, then it's time to probably call it a day. And then lo and behold, just everything turned the way it was. Title eliminator for the IBO, then, then title fight, and we managed to get Sam Eggington over here. I mean, Sam Eggington was no slouch. I mean, he 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 beat three former world champions, Frankie Gavin, um, Carlos Molina, uh, Pauli Malinaji. And he was like he he, he pretty much uh, retired maybe maybe all three of them really, so it was um so I feel like we're back on again and I feel like I feel like Eggington would probably beat JJ Metcalf anyway, so I just feel like that's just where it is in terms of levels, but I know that when someone gets the opportunity for a title fight. Um, they they give it everything. It's like they say in in soccer, anything can happen in the final. So I'll take nothing for granted there, and and um, you know we, we we'll have a great fight, I'm sure. Have you watched much of Metcalf's fights? He's obviously on a good winning streak. He beat Courtney Pennington recently, but a big win in um, against European champion in Bilbao, uh, Kerman uh, Leharanga. I think is how you pronounce the second name, but. You know, in good form, much like yourself, a couple of important wins to, to relaunch his career. Have you seen much of him? Have you done much research? What do you What do you think of him? So look, so what I do is I have a quick look, and um, and then my 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 coaches develop a, a game plan, and then when I get the game plan in, I'll go back now in another week or two, and I'll have a better look again, and I, and I'll actually see how the game plan will implement. And um, and then we go from there. So I'm gonna have a better look. But things that we were all that we're already working on, um, are things that I I think are gonna work very well. Again, I think my style, like I said for Eggington, I think my style, uh, uh, executed well will 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 beat him very well and give him a hard night. He'll be very aggressive, I'm sure. But um, you know, we all know what I do as well. So, um, without giving too much away, I, again, I think it's. There's no one I'd rather fight for this fight right here, right now. You know, given the spikes out of the, out of the way at the minute, this is this is the one fight. When it sounded like this what this fight wasn't going to happen, and um, you know when they were talking about maybe maybe June, July now or whatever else, I was genuinely gutted that I wasn't just going to go face to face with Metcalf because I think this is going to really show. Um, uh, Ireland now you know what I've been up to the past 12 years you know they'll be able, like you know they've been able to watch it on TV and everything but to arrive back now you know with this with the skill and ability that I have uh, I believe he's gonna he's gonna help me uh, show this to the Irish people How different is the Dennis Hogan who uh, returns in 2023 with an IBO world title 
to the Dennis Hogan who left these shores, I think, 13 years ago, almost fo- following the backpacking dream. Yeah, look, it's uh, it's yeah, it's it's night and day, really, isn't it? It's um, for me, it's the same. You know, I, I when I get confidence, I run with it, and um, and and I, I develop more confidence and more and more and more, and we could see that it was a, a steady evolution. Um, the more I was seeing what I was capable of, the more I was capable of. And we took, we took, my career has been a long one, but I, I think that, I think that we took good fights at good times and um, it's all gelled together now. You know, on top of that, a 150, 160 amateur fight, uh, or, or, or amateur yeah, fight career. Um, I think now it's all come together. I'm at that place now where, I don't I don't worry about will I do this, will I do that? I just feel like I know what I need to do and I just get out there and execute. And mm. that's the way my training camps are now and that's how my fights have been of late. So like I mentioned in the intro there, I first met you at the national stadium. Obviously you won the Irish Intermediate title two thousand and eight, beating Brendan uh, Brendan Fitzpatrick in the final, I think by countback. Uh, yeah. And then in the elites, a couple of fights and open senior tournaments as well. He had a couple of fights with Kenneth Egan. Just came up short, and Egan was the best light heavyweight in the world at the time. Maybe there was maybe two or three others that would, you know, vie for the title at the time. But Egan was in the top uh, two or three anyway. And he was just, I think he did. You box him three times as an elite senior. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I was his first fight back um, after he came back with a silver medal from the Olympics after being robbed in the final of, of an Olympic gold. Really, I'd feel, but. Um, and then it was the first time I was going from four twos to three threes. So there were long rounds in there with, with a big, tall southpaw, <laughs> uh, Olympic, you know, silver medalist southpaw. But, um, you know, I, I went hard and I got a good performance in at least. And then there was a world title, uh, world title box off that I went in. And I, I thought I did very well against him on that one. I, I thought we were near even, but he he definitely won that one by a four or five, six points even, and then, um, and then we we met again in the national championships. So that was my last uh, Irish seniors uh, Irish championships before I moved off to Australia and I went professional. We didn't talk about uh, we didn't talk about like mental health, mental strength as much maybe back then, but the Egan of two thousand and eight was a different animal from the Egan of earlier. He'd he'd managed to he'd managed to finally lock in performance that was that was um matched with the way he thinks about boxing and he he'd managed to perform his uh, to, to control his nerves managed to control everything mentally and then he could perform in the ring as well and the egan of 2008 yeah it was a special animal uh, and it you know it took probably yourself some time as well to lock it in because when you turned to professional 2011 down in australia did you you originally just went though wasn't it to be a was it to be a backpacker pick up some fights oh no look no well uh... I went over as a backpacker and 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 I had been around and I stayed in Brisbane. You know, I have a cousin over here, Mark White, um, who I came and spent some time with as I travelled around. And, um, that, so that was good. But I quite liked Brisbane. And I, I was only back, it felt like a wet week when there was a team coming back again. So I, I was I was getting fit and I was down, you know, you know, doing the rounds down in Port Leash and Vimna, just going and getting as much sparring and training as you can. Um I really, I don't feel like, I feel like I, I wanted to go back and just see what I could do to finish off my my amateur career. You know, I was mad keen to get back and, and win the Irish Championship and um, just really see what I could do. Because uh, I really liked it here. Um, and I could have stayed, you know, but then um, I just felt like my boxing career wasn't finished. So I came back and then before I knew it, I was on a team back out within the year, I think, or it was 
probably a year later, and um, we were back out. We we had a fight in Brisbane, two fights in Sydney, <clears throat> and that's where I met um, you know the coach and promoter Steve Deller, and um, it was crazy because there was pro and fights here, so we could really see what it was like. Um, the you know with the pros and the the Irish teams would fight first, and then the and then. And then the sorry the, the amateur Irish team would fight the Australian team, and then the pros would come out after. So anyway, uh, I had a great win my first one. I was said, if you ever want to come back out, you can. So you know, I just took that. But you know, I I probably thought I'd go to Boston or something like that first up uh, as a pro. But then you know, recession kicked in, and I remember. And so I, I rang Steve again. I said, if I go out there, can I get like a fight like like a, like ASAP? He said, like, so then we pretty much said, right, you get here and you get here early January and we'll have you on for St. Patrick's Day. I said, right, let's do it. So then I came out and I thought I'd only have a few before I, before I didn't even think that I could stay all that long with the visa I was on. Before I know it, I, I was just getting, I had nine fights in 11 months so as my first, my first year. And before I knew it, then I was, that was it. I'd grown roots here and I loved it. And that was the start of it all for me. <clears throat> Yeah, I think did you, you started winning titles as well. Like obviously the Australian route has proved fruitful for Irish boxers as well. But you start picking up was it the Queensland state title, super middleweight, and uh, Australia. Were you going for the Australian title the following year? Or you were picking up belts year. pretty quick, yeah. Um, and you you wouldn't really get quick progress like that back home. Obviously, going to Australia has proved uh, a, a decent route for Irish boxers in the past. Like there's mm. and there's been lots of them. I'd say you're among you're probably the most successful of them all, but maybe. Maybe TJ Doheny as well, you know, won a world title fighting out of Australia. Um, Dara Foley recently has made headlines as well. But back in the day, in the in the 90s and 2000s, it was Paul Griffin went and Dean Byrne as well. So I remember me and you having a chat about this, oh, it must be about 10 years ago, and just yeah. the opportunities that are, that Australia can offer to Irish boxers. We see a rising, a rising prospect now, Connor Wallace, boxing out of Tasmania as well. So there's there's lots of avenues in which uh, in which to grow your career. Yeah, no, um, um, no, uh, uh, I actually met Connor Wallace in the sauna and ice bath today. So he's with Tasman Fighters, but he's in Brisbane. Right. Okay. So, so he he's with Steve. Who I went over the first. Griffin was with Steve, and so was um, what's the other name of the fighter? Dean, Dean, Dean Byrne. Byrne. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, so that like, I mean, once we knew that, and this, I'm sure we would have spoke about this back a decade ago. Because they they went over and they got you know many fights and that was good and Steve Steve had said to me when I was here like, and I seen it when I was here I had never gone to an amateur fight before where people were shouting your name it was mad and um, the Irish you know my, my cousin brought a load of Irish they all you know got on it and um, it was crazy the buzz of it was electric and that's what so, so so professional boxing here was like that and and. Steve was right in terms of there was a there's a market like for the Irish fighter, and so you get on there and you're selling tickets, and if you're doing that, every, every promoter will stick you on, and you will fast track yourself to titles and stuff like that. But you'll have to sell tickets, and you have to be you know you have to do all of that. So sometimes the hardest part of it wasn't all just the training and all that. As hard as it was in the in the Brisbane heat, it was about getting out there like like I went out to all the Irish GAA football I even trained them up and fought them off and um, I was getting around to all the Irish companies I was doing all that kind of stuff to, to sell tickets and the more I did that the more my pay was increasing and the more title opportunities came along so that's the reason why it's so fast-tracked for Irish people that are good at selling 
Yeah, absolutely. And and your first uh, your first big opportunity outside of Australia came along. You had a few fights in the states, but then you got the call in December of uh, 2015 to fight Jack Kulkai in uh, in Germany, and that was for the WBA interim uh, world title. So that was you know finally uh, things are things are picking up. That was a big opportunity for you. And um, how did you feel that fight went? And how was the whole experience? I think oh, there's there something very oh. funny in the German press that week. They <laughs> they had a mix up and they thought you were. Related to Paul Hogan, didn't they? <laughs> Fairly sure. They oh did. yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, <laughs> do you remember I, that? I do remember that. Crocodile yeah, Hogan, sure, yeah, <laughs> from 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 Australia. Yeah, Paul. Hogan. Yeah, yeah. That, I do remember that. Look, it was one of those things. I, I was after him. I had just been main event on CBS Sports Network, and I picked up the the NABA title, NABA USA title, and then um, and then I went back. Um, a couple of months later, and and I defended it, and again I was main event on CBS Sports Network. So things had really kicked off um, for me in that regard. So, and then it was like, right, well now you're going to go fight there. And I, do you know what? I was just thinking the caliber of going from those guys who were strong and good fighters, like like that guy Brunson who I beat. He's in, he had 19 first round knockouts, right? And that might have been something of a novelty, but he went on. His last fight before me was Kayla Plant. So we were mixing it with some really good fighters and I beat him and won, the, won that title. And then I went and defended it again in Niagara Falls in, in, a, in, a, in a hotel there. Um, and then it was like, oh, well, you know, now you got the opportunity to go fight. So in, in retrospect or in hindsight, I probably had a fight to go in between those guys and like a, a world champion pro and a world amateur champion in Jack Colquet. Yeah. But didn't matter anyway. I was I was good for the opportunity. I said, let's do this. I felt like I'd be a world champion anyway. This is my opportunity. And so I went and I trained as hard as I could. And uh, we got to Ireland and I had a great spar up in, up in Celtic Warrior Gym with the boys and uh, was going back again. And uh, I think 10 days out, the fight got postponed. And it was like the undercard fell apart, apparently. So that was, we were there for, it was meant to be 26th of September. So we went back to Australia and kept training. And we kept training and kept training. And, and you know what? Uh, again, I'm not making any excuses, but I overcooked myself. And um, it was coming into summer too. And I just kept training, training, training. So I felt when I went back the second time, because uh, I'll be honest, I felt great for that one. Like giving it everything. Your first title fight, world, like world title fight, giving it everything. But I gave it everything for too long, and 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 it wasn't I wasn't used to that all of that and everything that went on. And then I think mentally I I had sort of told myself that too, where I felt like oh I think I'm a more of a watered down version of myself. When I got out there that night, I actually I boxed very well, and you know he beat me, he beat me well. But I learned a lot from that, and I thought you know what I've learned so much from this now. I'll be a different animal after this because now I've learned. You know what you're capable, what I was capable of doing, um, with all the travel, making weight, doing everything the way I'd done it. And um, fair play to Jack, he, he fought a, a very smart fight, but I felt like I'd also learned something about uh, the elusive flurry puncher. Like, I felt like I was winning most of the rounds, mm. but he just fucking lied on me with a, with a flurry. And he and I the, and then the crowd would scream, and I knew he was stealing the rounds with these with these little flurries while I was doing most of the work throughout the round. So I learned a lot about that, and um, I hope to get another rematch with Jack before my career is over. Oh yeah, yeah I'd love that fight. Yeah, that that'd be good. All right. And um, on a personal level, Dennis, um, 
you'd given up alcohol at that stage. There's a headline in the uh, in one of the papers that said, um, it's a great quote, I was going to be a world-class drinker or a world-class boxer. I couldn't do both. Yeah. And I think the, yeah. the, one of the decisions to, to, the decision to give it up at the time was based on maybe a draw in your third fight, probably a fight you should have won, Edmund Eramina, and also a call from your granddad, Paddy Burke, telling you, it's time, it's time, lad, give it up. Yeah, look, um, yeah, that's right. Um, so just, but I mean, before that fight that ended up being a draw, it was great. You know, my grandfather was delighted for me. You know, he was telling everyone, you know, his grandson was 2-0 and with two knockouts. And um, he always told me I'd be, I'd be a great pro. And he always told me I'd have a great chin. He also, also told me that Gary Cully from St. David's Boxing Club was going to go very far. So he wasn't wrong, my grandfather, <laughs> about things that he said. Um, but uh, yeah, look, I, um, at that point, I still, I, I, you know, there was, there was just, it was just one of those things where I still hadn't sort of grasped the whole, um, just lock in completely for the training camp and, um, and because fights were happening very quickly, so I wasn't really making that good distinction between when to stop and when not to drink. And and what sort we, of a, we weren't to what sort of a drinker were you? Like, was it uh, oh, a few, yeah, a few no, every it night just, or a big big sessions, big binges? Or look, I was yeah. Look, it was um, I wouldn't be looking to drink every day. Definitely not. It was none of that. You know, it was all blown out of proportion in that regard but once I started I, I'd go I'd go and I'd go and back in Ireland I would party for days you know it would be no problem If I got even if I didn't get a few hours sleep I'd definitely go all night and go the next day but if I was going again I could get a few hours sleep and go again I just had a big engine with a big engine in, in the mm. ring in life and, and like I did in drinking so that's why I sort of made that I could be a, I could be brilliant at something. I just have to give my all and everything. But he said that to me on the phone. He really, he realised, you know, we were talking about a fight coming up and he realised that I was drinking and he said, he knew I was drinking. He said, give, give up that drink, son, and give it everything you've got. So I was like, why is he saying that, you know? But we're probably a good bit out from the fight, I was probably thinking or whatever. But it was only then, you know, he fell ill and he was in a coma and I went back to see him. And... Um, uh, and you know he wasn't conscious, and he was he was meant to go at that time, he was meant to leave us, and, and then he didn't, and I flew back. But I had a fight in a week down in Melbourne, and uh, when I was at home uh, again, I, I was drinking. I wasn't dealing with it, uh, and I was happy to see my friends. As much of a sad situation as was my grandfather, I was happy to see my friends, and I went out with them and partied a bit, and then I had to fly back and go back to. Australia with a fight in, in seven days so I get back after been drinking after been flying and I end up going in there and um, and yeah they, and I got a draw after after five rounds of boxing um, in Melbourne they, they tended to give draws a lot too and that's the reason why they gave it five rounds so they wouldn't give it a draw and then they gave it a draw <laughs> yeah. so I did feel like I won that fight but I just I was just there thinking this is that was mad and I, I was reeling after that because I felt like even though I wasn't undefeated, I felt like I, I blemished. I read something that someone had written saying Dennis Hogan has the first blemish on his record, and that felt that felt bad. And then my grandfather passed away a, a week or two later, and it just hit me. I just got a goosebump there now. Just I just remember the moment it hit me. I thought I've got to stop this, and I've got to just go all in. So I said I walked into the mirror. Into, I walked in around the corner into the bathroom. I said, from now on, I'm going to make, I've now learned about law of attraction. Now, now it's time to believe. And I said, I looked in the mirror and I said, I am the world champion. I am the world champion. I said, from now on, every decision I make 
it's going to be about being world champion till I become world champion. And uh, that's what I did. Like, I mean, and I didn't I didn't regret that decision at all. Got my shit in order, got my life in order, got my priorities right. And um, I had some crazy discipline when I did it. And um, it was a great decision that I made. I, I, I really mean that. In um, after the Kulkai fight, you did bounce back with a couple of decent, a couple of good wins, like Jimmy Kilray and Kelly. I remember watching that fight, and you know they would have travelled over fairly confident, but you gave him a bit of a lesson. And then Jamie Weech as well, same thing, one sided points points win. I went to Mexico to fight Jaime Munguia. You're probably in very good, um, in a very good headspace yourself, but you weren't really given a chance around the world. I think it's fair to say, without being disrespectful, it was like Munguia. I think was 32 and 0 at the time, knocked nearly everybody out. And it kind of proved his credentials as well. Hadn't he beaten uh, Liam Smith and Saddam Ali and stuff like that? So he was a serious, yeah. serious operator. And most of them didn't get to fight him in Mexico. And you were doing that as well. So I was like, oh, well, well, well Dennis Hogan is clearly crazy. And then, yeah. and then you know, one of the performances from an Irish boxer I've ever, I've ever seen. And uh, still, yeah. still, they didn't give it to you. Yeah, look, they, they knew what they were doing because I became number one. In the, in the WBO and I got offered by the WBO would you go to Mexico and fight him and I said no I want to fight him like in, in a in a neutral place um, and then so then they pulled back and they had another fight and then it was like um, and then I because I, I was also three with the IBF and, I, and Julie Williams was two and you know there's no one position till someone wins it in the IBF so then they had then ordered a purse bid or, or a fight negotiation between myself and uh, Julian Williams. At that same time, the, the WBO convention was on and I got named mandatory that exact same moment. Something similar is happening to Michael Zarafa right now. Um, and he's choosing the WBA route against his Andy Lara. But anyway, I, and so and so anyway, so they said, okay, well, so we were like, okay, well, we're mandatory now. And they're like, yeah, cool. We're just going to have this fight first. So, okay. So I had this fight first. And then it was like, Oh well, we want to have another. It's like what's going on here? So then, so then they were saying, oh, so then they were like, oh well, we're going to do a deal with you, and we're going to give him another fight. And this was Golden Boy. So then we were sort of going in and just kind of like, okay, we're just looking to see what's going to happen here. Am I going to get signed by Golden Boy? And then they just pulled on it completely, and they said, no, we're fighting now, and now it's going to go to purse bids on this. So it was like, so they did everything they could to get me to Mexico. They pulled the fast one. And they got us to Mexico. They did everything they could to get us to Mexico because I think they knew that my style was always going to be difficult for them. And they got me to Mexico and they ripped me off. So, um, you know, you know, you can't tell me <laughs> that they weren't doing all that on purpose. You know, and even even after the fight, there was no drug test. I was like waiting to be drug tested. No drug test, nothing. It was like, where's he gone? I come out after the press conference. He was gone. It's like, what's going? On? What's going on here? Just proper been stiffed. But you know, is what it is. I, I said that they, it's on a, it's on a video. I could send it to you. Where I stood there and they asked me, "How do you feel?" And I said, "Look, tonight in my, I've won a world title. It's only a matter of time till till I have that belt around my waist." And and I knew if I don't give up, I make that a reality. And I got my world title strap. So, do you feel like that, like the mental strength that you'd worked on and developed throughout your career? And you know, it is something that you've worked on, and you, you know, you do the. Uh, you do speaking on the circuit as well. And, you you know, you speak to people in business and in life and in sport about, you know, you tell me, you know, but uh, about the process, I guess. 
Do you yeah, believe look, that, I mean, that your strength, your strength of mind at the time kind of got you over that hump? Because that would, you know, that would break a lesser fire or a lesser minded fire. Well, for me, so it's like uh, I learned a formula, right? And that's, you know, without going into all the ins and outs of it, it's about you don't believe you're going to win. You have certainty of, of your goals. When, when you when you start to, when you set your goals and you set towards them, it's certainty. you got to feel like you already have it. And um, and that's how I was. Even going into that fight, you know, I did have you know I had this innate little niggle intuition wise going. I know I can beat him in Mangia, but it's it's funny. Well, can I get the decision there? But you know, I, I again like going to Mexico. It was my destiny to be world champion. So I got in there with the certainty I'll be world champion. And I think I showed that certainty afterwards the way I was talking. And I still thought I said, but I had proved to myself at that point that I can be the world champion in their in their in their in their home in their home ground. And I'll just tell you, one of the most bizarre things that I'll never forget. There was Eric Morales. There was uh, Chavez Senior, and um, who's the other Mexican legend? Oh, there's a couple of them. Uh, Barrera, there was another, Marquez, or yeah, I think it was uh, Marco Antonio Barrera. Barrera, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they were sitting there, they were commentating on my fight for the Mexican. Um, and they were actually over by my corner. And uh, after the decision was read out, I went back to the corner, you'll see. And I looked down at them, and the three of them put their heads down. They literally looked away from me. And I knew at that point, I knew in that moment, I said, oh, I have, to, I've, I have been ripped here. <laughs> you know, um, and then, you know, but my family, I got a standing ovation going back to the dressing room and my family and all that got like, got, got standing ovations leaving the stadium in, in Monterey. It was just, it was, it was just, it was weird in that regard. But again, like I said, I knew I'd won a world title. I knew, I now knew everything I'd done up to this point. I'm that fighter that I, that I, that I dreamt I would be. And now it's just a matter of time to get the opportunity again. That's all I felt. Yeah. So. We've discussed your next two bouts. They were against Charlo and, and Tazu, but I just want to discuss them a little bit in a bit more detail. Like obviously Charlo was a monster at middleweight at the time. WBC world champion, fought him at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn where not so long previously, uh, Carl Frampton had beaten Leo Santa Cruz, a, a good venue for uh, Irish boxers, but Charlo was the real deal. Uh, he has, he's kind of stagnated a bit though recently since, hasn't he? That was four years ago or three and a half years ago. Like, I mean, He's maybe not getting the right opportunities or whatever. But how good do you think he is? How good do you think he can be? Could he? Could he have like had he got Canelo in the ring or Triple G or Lara or any of these boys? Could he like? Would he have enough for them? Well, you know, I I haven't been in with those boys, so I, no. I look that power that hit me. Um, see, look again. Look, see, there's a couple of things that I was a little bit green on in that regard. I'm well up on it now, and I'd like to think. Um, but you know. The, the gloves when I was given the when I had the gloves on I had fighters gloves on you know like the tiny things so that was there's no doubt he had that as well I didn't know to go in about gloves I didn't know to do all of that to make sure the gloves were so when I was given my elite you know not elite when I was given my MX punchers gloves I knew he was wearing them too I was like oh Jesus um, six weeks out before the fight as well I was told that I had to go over for the press conference. I said, hold on. So I looked at the flight schedule, six, 30 hours to Hong Kong, for, to, towards Hong, through Hong Kong, to, Dublin, uh, to, to, to New York, be there for like four, four, four or five days, and then come back to resume training, only to go back again in three weeks. 
all of that just took its toll. I kept training, I trained, I, I gave it everything I had. Um, but, you know, again, like I said, like, again, these all sound like excuses, but it's like these guys at these top levels, they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing to these fighters, like me- getting me to Mexico, getting me to fly around the world, getting me to go over six weeks. Because I said, well, well, what if I don't go? Well, a third of your purse is actually media obligations. So we can deduct a third of your purse if you don't go to the press conference. You know, third uh-huh. to Eddie Hearn, he didn't push for me to go over. Um, to that press conference, which was nine weeks out, that was half nearly doable. But it's still fair play to Eddie. He 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 didn't try to make me do that. But you know what I'm saying. The, the, and with Germany as well, they're always trying to, you know. So you have to be well up to these people. This this is actually this is literally this 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 is warfare. You know, this is the art of war. And um, you know, I was subject to a little bit of that throughout it. But with that one with Charlo. But when I got in the ring with him that night, I'm like, you know, I'm not, I'm not. I don't feel like I'm out of my depth here, but um, he was um, he was able to like I had to dance around him. There's no doubt about that, you know. He wasn't trying to, you know, but I he kind wouldn't of, land his right hand. Yeah, was, I was gonna say like, and you you performed quite well, and like it was kind of like maybe Macklin against Golovkin as well, a little bit in terms of just you could see that one guy was schooled, one guy had a game plan, but. It was it was gonna change. You could see the size difference, and then it was gonna change when the bigger guy started connecting almost. And you could see when Charlo started, like towards the end of the fight, when he started landing his punches, it was like, oh Jesus, <laughs> you know this. Yeah, well, he's, he's for well, real. Give, well, he is. For, well, I'll give you some insight. Like, um, um, actually, the, his coach actually said to uh, one of our guys after he said, we we knew Hogan was going to be tricky in that regard, so we went and. We did a week of stuff on the sand and at the beach to get ready for Hogan's movement and stuff. So they 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 had they had done really well. Ronnie Shields, is it? But um, but, but yeah, they yeah, had done it's some very one, yeah. Work. Yeah. So I got in and I'd won the first, like I'd won the first two rounds. I I, I felt that, and one judge had me that as well. So that was um, so that was good, and I was going in. And next thing, it started to become that little bit harder, and um, so it was like, okay, he's moving back very fast, and as I approached. Right, <laughs> and so it was like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna have a faster entry. Okay, cool. I was cool with that. So I came in even faster, but this time he didn't go back, and he brought that left uppercut. <laughs> and before I knew it, I'm coming in faster just to meet his hand. And so anyway, before I knew it, I'm 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 doing a, a backward somersault, and I'm standing up for the first time in my career. Going, don't know what just happened, but uh, but let's go. <laughs> yeah. But um, so he he was very very smart at just landing big shots. Like I said, we had the small gloves on. He knew he was a lot bigger than me. Um, he knew, you know, I had to work harder to to win that fight, and um, he knew exactly what he was doing, you know. So I watched that media conference that you were forced to fly over, like, and you could see it beforehand as well. He was a little bit, I'm going to say, almost disrespectful in the media beforehand. But what was he like uh, being around on on fight night? You know, was he was he actually an RA fellow, or was you know, because there's every, every, stuff you got to do yeah. in the media, isn't there? Well, I have a feel. Well, I met him um, just before. Uh, we did all the stuff on the day of the way, just about an hour before the way, and we had to come and do all these all this stuff. And um, I met him coming out of the elevator, and he had the hood up because he was still sweating. And I just looked at him; he looked at me, and he put out his knuckles, right? But that was the only time we were friendly to each other, because what I what I feel he was doing was, I feel like he was thinking, right, I got a guy coming up from a, from another weight who's small for super welterweight anyway. 
this is where I'm going to make a big, I'm going to, I'm going to knock him out and I'm going to look good. And I'm going to make him, the guy. I'm going to act up and I'm going to get lots of exposure from being that person because I didn't do anything to him. You know, there was no real reason for it. And um, we, we had, we, some guys reached out to us um, and said, we'll do your media and all that. And they, they might've provoked him a little bit, but you know, they did like, I was the lion, the lion tamer. They did a few posts and shit, and he came on. And, you know, I keep running your mouth. It's exactly what his uh, what his other brother says as well. So he got offended, but he showed up at the way and with like a lion crunching down on a leprechaun. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe he felt like he was going to make a, an example of me and make it look good because I'm coming up from another weight, which I feel is a little bit of a bitch move. But that is what it is, and uh, and we probably poked. Uh, I should say bear, but um, lion. Anyway, we poked the lion, and we got him a bit pissed off. So it's all good. Yeah, I think if I was a professional fighter and I was going out into a media press conference, I think I'd, I'd nearly have to pull my opponent aside a little bit beforehand and say, "Listen, it's not personal. I'm going to be an absolute asshole to you in front of the cameras today, <laughs> but it's not personal, right? This is just yeah. a game." <laughs> do, do any fighters well, ever do that? Go, Listen, that? we're mates, but I'm going to be a dickhead to you publicly today just to drum it up. I don't know that. It's, I've never been involved in anything like that, and I've been different at different times. But I'm, I'm always, I always just looking to see how my opponent is. But I'll tell you, like even even after the weigh-in, myself and him had a bit of genuine, you know, like a little bit of back and forward. Um, and there was a guy standing in the crowd, and he looked at me and said, "You're going home in a body bag." And I thought, I was like, that guy looked familiar. I said, like, "Who was that guy?" Because the whole place went mad. It erupted. Charlo was trying to give an interview. My friend, my my friend showed me. He goes, he was so, he was so, he was so pissed off. He goes, look at this. So he's there and he's trying to talk, and all the Irish were just so going mad in this small conference room, and he just went whatever, and he just walked off from the interview because he couldn't because he couldn't talk over the Irish screaming, but but his crew screamed as well, and it turns out it was Anthony Durrell, the WBC super middleweight champion. He screamed at me, "You're going home in a body bag." I'm like. What is this? Is this actually happening? Is this happening? Like, yeah. anyway, but I didn't care at all. He doesn't was, need to sell the fight. <laughs> like, that's yeah. Uh, no, I, th- I think of... he got emotional. Not exactly what you'd expect to hear from a professional boxer who knows the dangers <laughs> of the of the sport. You know what I mean? A bit of decorum here, yeah. Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. But I have to go home and chat. I said, like, "Who is that guy?" And I, and I, I don't know how, but I was able to get on and go. Geez, that was Anthony Durrell. That was funny. <laughs> that's insane. Um, obviously, yeah. a little bit of time out of the ring after that, and then you come back against Tim Tzu. I know we talked we talked about this one at length before you fought him. You're very confident. I know you you did like you know reveal that you had a nose problem, and I've I've had a nose problem myself, and it's it can be it can be very tricky. And I, I couldn't imagine fighting six weeks after having a broken nose, and you went and did it, but um. We've seen Tim Tazoo since. That was probably his breakout fight. And that was the one where he showed he was the real deal. Um, because anything you tried to do, he he found a way halfway through the fight to negate it and took you out in the in the fifth round. And afterwards, he's kind of shown exactly that he is he is proper. His last outing, yeah. he a fight he didn't really need to take. He's gonna take on the other Charlo, isn't he? Jermel Charlo. But you know, in the meantime, his last fight he showed that he was um Completely legit, I'd say, against Tony Harrison, took him out as well. So, uh, Tim Tazoo, do yeah. you think he's going on to bigger and better things? Can he beat ah, yeah. Jermel Charlo? Um, look, I didn't think so before um, Before that. But, um, and, and actually, I'll just go back to the way you say, in, ter- in terms of the other Charlo, you know, the, the, the twin brother, the one I fought, you know, the guys are very, you know, very inactive. Um, 
champions for you know the amount that they actually could be fighting they're very inactive and I don't know what it is but um, I, I think if Jamel was a little bit more active I think he he would be doing it even though he's got you know the belts there but that's um, he, he would be better if he was a bit more active but now that J- Tim's after having that fight and he's after winning so well and he's confident I now think Charlo doesn't want that fight. I really do. I th- I I think that's how it is. And I seen something this morning saying, um, from the WBO saying, um, they're going to look to see, um, if Charlo can can fight soon and how his injury is looking, and they're going to get a medical. And if that's not the case, and if it's not, uh, Tim will be just upgraded to to the full WBO world champion, and then Charlo will be uh, stripped of that one, and. I actually think that's what's going to happen. I actually think he'll actually want that to happen. I don't think he'll want that now. I don't know why. I'm not questioning his character, but I just feel like that will have given him a bit of a shock, to be fair. Um, before, I thought Tim would go over and struggle a bit because, don't forget, he's in America, and then you've got American judges. Um, whereas when you flew t- Tony Harrison out here, you had the Australian judges and you had all of that. So it does make a bit of a, a difference. It makes a difference where you are, you know, and um, and I thought that, uh, you know, I mean, like, there was only two rounds, there was only two rounds in that fight. They had a 77-75 before Tim got him out of there. All, all Charlo has to do is last another three rounds, uh, win another couple of rounds and do that in America. And and he could have Tim. But, but, like, um, but like you say, he doesn't fight. I've just looked up his box right there. I didn't even realise how inactive he was. Uh, Jermel Charlo, he has two fights in... Um, 2019, you know, uh, to come back from the Tony Harrison defeat. Two fights in 19, one in 20, yeah. one in 21, and one in 22. He hasn't fought since last May. Why is nobody fighting? Dennis, you're an active guy. You know, you 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 you, you win, you lose, you fight. You know, a couple of months later, you're back in the ring. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's a credit to the Australian scene. There always seems to be a bit of action, but what's going on in boxing at the minute? Why is nobody at the top level fighting? It's very difficult to stay yeah. focused on, on the fight game at the minute because guys fight and then see you next year, you know, and it's kind of for fights often that are, aren't even that relevant and it's difficult to follow. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with it. Well, well, look, I mean, he must be getting a lot of money per fight, him and his brother, to be able to do what they do. Honestly, they must be getting an absolute bag of money, um, you know, to be able to fight once a year or whatever. But, uh, you know, I was very, I was very disappointed in the, in the, in the middleweight division. I, I had a fight there, obviously, with Charlo. But then I, when I left there, I was like, oh, very keen to see. He did fight um, Derichenko and he had a great win there. And I thought, okay, he's going to go on now and he'll fight, you know, either Alvarez. Alvarez never actually came back to middleweight, so you can kind of excuse him. But you had Golovkin. Um, uh, uh, who else did you have? He had some other guys at middleweight there as well. But, you know, the fact that even Golovkin, and Charlo didn't fight. And then there was another couple of guys, even Alvarez maybe. Dem- Demetrius just... Andrade has a world title belt, doesn't he? He's beaten a couple of Irish lads. Yeah, and he's, he was just saluting to... me there. Yeah. But but those guys need to fight each other. And I, I don't know, that actually seems to, it, it, it peeves me a bit, the fact that they don't just kick on. Like I've literally fought everyone in my division. And that's why I had so much respect for Sam Eggington, because he literally fought everybody, anybody at any time. Yeah. Right. And um, you know, and that's it's not about it's not about a, an unblemished record. If you've fought everybody, it's about whatever. But I think these guys are trying to save the record, um, and I feel I don't I don't know why. I feel like Golovkin um, 
uh, Golovkin and Charlo and and um, yeah and uh, and Andre should all should be made fight each other. Like why and why not? It, it boggles my mind. Let's go back to Dennis Hogan anyway. Um, so after after tips two, you bounce back with wins over Tommy Tommy Brown and Wade Ryan, and then you secure your IBO shot against Sam Eggington. Um, a fight that went to distance, but there was a, there was a clear superiority. I felt um, one the judges had it a draw which was uh, surprising. The other judges had you by four rounds. Um, and, and victory, was it the best moment of your career when you when you won the fight or was it just another stepping stone or how do you feel? Uh, did, did it did it prove everyone wrong that maybe might have doubted you after some of the defeats in your career or did it just prove to yourself more than, more than anything that I've done it, I can do it? Look, it was like it was. Like, it was all about. It was all about. In my mind, I was a world champion, right? And I didn't care who taught any different, right? Even though I, I've not actually met anybody who's taught that I didn't win that fight in Mexico. So the whole time, I knew I was a world champion, and that's what it is. It was about getting the strap that said world champion. And the second they said I knew, that was it. I had my strap. I was bringing that belt home to my daughter, you know. And um, and you know, it's it's it's. It was. It just. It was. It just. That's all I needed. Then was a strap, and then it was time to kick on again. Because, like I said, if I, I said I was going to give it one more go, I knew it was in me. I knew it was ready to go. But I said if I was to lose to to Sam or lose to anyone on the way to that, then I wasn't who I thought I was anymore. I had my time. It's gone, and now it's time to be more there for my family and 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 move on. But it it was, and it felt good, man. It felt really, really good. But then, you know, it was funny because it was short-lived. Like, it was a high for a long time. Um, but it was never about proving anyone wrong. It was about people that stuck with me. And that's how it's always been. It's the people that stuck with me. that Like, there's people that are still devastated for me over that Mexico fight. Like, it, they're more bothered about it than I am, you know? And you, <laughs> yeah, but... Um, people are so devastated. I thought this was this will actually give them a little bit of peace of mind as well. I've had I've seen a, I have had a grown men like have tears in their eyes talking to me about it. You know, and that literally just fucking blows my mind. But um, you know, and then it, it it keeps, you know, ratifying the significance of what it actually was. But anyway, we got that, we got that strap, and then all of a sudden a week or two later, it was like I had climbed the hill, right? I was out, I was over this mountain, and I've just got onto the mountain, and I've seen that there's another mountain on top, and now I'm at the bottom of another hill, and that's to become unified champion now, and that's what's that's what's on my mind. But I will say, there's a beautiful, calm, serenic feeling that I've got the monkey off the back, and um, everything that happens now is cream, but I'm still like a man possessed to to go and 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 to keep getting bells. So. How does everybody in your family feel about you continuing on? Like you're 38 years old, you know what I mean? It's got to be, you know, most fighters are on the come down or on the wind down and you're 38 and you're looking to, like you say, you're at the bottom of another mountain. You, you, you're you fully committed to the process. Is, is everybody fully on board? Obviously, you've, you're a family man now, you've got kids, you've got a life outside boxing. You, you could, you could, you know, win your homecoming and say, look, I'm gone. Yeah, look, I mean, that is the case, but, um, you know, again, like I'm kind of hitting another goal as well. Like I've done a, I've done a multi-fight deal with Matchroom, mm. and I believe that they can give me, um, give me what I need to kind of, kind of, because I mean, I have done it the tough way, really. You know, like I, I, I don't, but I, I gain strength from thinking, you know, coming back to fight Tommy Brown down in Sydney. Uh, he was a, a former WBG title contender, and then I, I fought the right fight at the right time. 
but I did it in Sydney in his home ground and um, had a good win there. Then I fought their boy. There it was No Limits boy, Wade Ryan. You know, I was never supposed to win that. They they thought my best, everybody thought my best days were behind me. I met a guy in Brisbane saying, um, oh, that's a that's an interesting fight, Dennis. You know, he's 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 on the, and I thought, really? And I, he went, oh, well, I know you. And I, I didn't mean to say it like that, but I had then had him on the back foot because I was like, do you people think this? But again, I, I knew where I was at, but I was thinking, well, if I, if I lose to this guy, then my best days behind. But anyway, look, we, I, I didn't have the platform that I now have. And I worked bloody hard to get to this point. And I feel like we're going to reap the rewards, you know, we'll make a few quid and we'll do what we can. And, you know, I'll go till the wheels fall off, but not not literally. Like if I start to see that I'm I'm losing momentum in, in my fitness, in my skill, in my boxing ability, if my defense started to waver, if I start getting hit more, that'd be time to get my health is first and foremost, to be there for my daughters um, is my number one priority. But but by boxing and and making money now and doing what I'm doing and making an even bigger story for my public speaking and and for the for the goals that I've got, this is not a platform to do that. So, so Australia is home now for for it's where you're raising your family. But the matchroom deal does that suggest that you might get a couple of fights back in the UK or Ireland, or are you maybe looking to become more of a figurehead? Because matchroom have interests in Australia, don't they as well? And if they've Dara Foley recently won against Robbie Davis Jr. on a matchroom card, obviously Davis Jr. got an injury as well, but Foley was impressing and he'd knocked them down and he was mm. probably en route to to winning on points or stopping them himself. So are you looking to spearhead maybe kind of an Australian invasion for matchroom or is it an opportunity to fight on cards over here? Um, well, I'm going with the flow. Um mm. Uh, it's it's funny how it happened that that Katie ended up you know ended up getting her homecoming and now she's looking to do Crow Park and and if that opportunity is there I got to do it you know but we've mapped we've pretty much mapped out what things are going to look like so it's not going to make a difference one way or the other where I fight I don't think uh, if I fight in Ireland it's going to be more flight tickets and extra costs for for matchroom but in terms of my person that um, we've already mapped that out so if they want to do it in Crow Park fine I'll fight in Crow Park <laughs> you know um, yeah, uh, if right. they want to have me if they, yeah <laughs> if they want to have me main event here in in in, in Brisbane like they had um Last October, they had a, a, a sparring partner of mine, Liam Parrow, fight Brock Jarvis, and um, you know, and that was actually in a. So I, I used to go for walks up there at Southbank, one of the most beautiful areas of Brisbane, and it's nearly like a little coliseum place. And I've always thought that'd be a great place for fights. I've been there. And, yeah, um, I've been there actually. Yeah, it's a great spot. Right. Yeah. Is it called the Piazza or something? Uh, something yeah. like something like that. It's a long time ago for me, Dennis as well. But yeah, I remember. I remember being there. Yeah, actually. yeah it's lovely. Yeah, um, but so they did a fight there, and Jesus, I mean, if I if I got the opportunity to do that, I, I take hand in all too. So wherever, even if they wanted me to go to America, um, as long as I'm the A side, uh, I'm I'm good to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, lovely stuff. Um, sharing a bill with Katie Taylor is going to be something special. Obviously, do you know each other from back in the amateurs? And what do you think of her career today? Obviously, she's the challenger. In this one, still the A side against Chantel Cameron. That's a, that's going to be a cracking fight. Went along to the press conference, and I suppose I just got a little bit more excited about the actual clash of styles, which I think is going to be fascinating. Cameron wants to make it into a war. We know that Taylor loves when a fight becomes a bit of a war. If she can control it for as long as she can, and then win the war when it does take place, she'll coast to a points victory here. But if she get like Cameron is probably as strong, if not stronger, than any opponent she's had so far, and we've seen Katie Taylor's 
fights that have t- turned into wars become kind of close run things against Serrano and Pursuit. Mm-hmm. So if if Cameron is better than those at doing it, uh, well, then she's going to be in for a tough and long night. Yeah, look, I mean, yeah, exactly. Like exactly like you said, and she's had enough of those wars for Cameron to sort of work out a bit of a plan, you know, and if they've got a good plan, they, they could be very dangerous. But I can't take anything away from Amanda Serrano um, in terms of what she's done in the sport. She also fought in a car with me in, in, in New York 2014, and um, I think she's a four-weight world champion, but she's a six or seven-weight world champion now. Seven, and yeah. I, yeah, right. And and for Katie to beat her, that just puts Katie where she is. And I actually think that that, that fight would have been more dangerous than, than this one. But okay. but again, you know, who knows? You know, this is boxing. Like, when boxing comes on, I find it hard to pick winners. You know, and I'm in boxing all my life, so... Um, it's very hard to kind of know but like you say a clash of styles do make fights and that's what makes it so interesting Dennis any tickets for May 20th any going so I'm, I'm finding out um, I'm, I can put you on my list I think we're getting a list um, I'm finding out uh, I'm, I'm in contact with someone from Ashram and I think I'm getting allocated a section so if Only- you want to go on to my section I'll <laughs> give you a message after I appreciate it. No, I'll I'll be going in the media section. I appreciate it. I'm on, I'm only taking the Mickey out of you, but uh, yeah. I'm sure. What I mean is, I'm sure I'm sure people are in your inbox all the time, like desperate to go along and support you for this one. Like it's been yeah, a long, it's been a long road, Dennis. Like fighting a long time in Australia. Like you said, 29 fights in Australia, fights all over the USA, Mexico, Germany, and now finally coming home. I'd say people are mad excited. You'll have half a Caldera with you, and obviously Caldera going to be represented on the card as well by Naceman Gary Cully mentioned earlier on. St. David's and Ace, bit of lineage there for you as well, because your granddad was the coach there. He's flying mm. as well, isn't he? So it's a, it's going to be a great night for Kildare Boxing too. Yeah, look, he's the future of Irish boxing, I reckon. Um, um, he's just phenomenal. And I'm actually looking forward to being on the, on the card with a, a fellow Kildare man. It's funny that we both started out in the same club and then I went to Grange Con then, um, where I'll actually finish my camp this time around. Um, but... Um, but yeah, you know, um, in terms of in terms of tickets, we'll get family, friends, as much people as we can tickets, and there'll be a shut off point, I'm sure. But uh, I wanted to ask you a question. So you spoke to you're probably going to uh, get onto it anyway. But um, you spoke to um, JJ Metcalf during the week, and um, I was wondering. Uh, you said that he sounded confident. Did he sound confident, or was he he's saying a, the words you were supposed to say? He's a soft spoken guy, right? So it's kind of. It's one of those things. And now he does, he sounds pretty confident. I'd say, I wouldn't say arrogant. Absolutely not. But he definitely sounds confident. JJ Metcalf, what are your impressions of Dennis Hogan? You're fighting him on May the 20th. It's his first fight in Ireland. It's going to be an emotional affair for him. And you're coming to spoil the party. Yeah, you know, I've wanted to box in Ireland myself for a long time. All my family are from Dublin. And, um, you know, never got the chance to. So it's a big occasion for myself. Yeah, but Dennis, great fighter. He's um, you know, he's had some great experiences. I believe he won the fight with Mungia. And um, but I just feel like it's my time and I feel like, you know, I've always said to myself things happen for a reason. I was gonna call it a day after getting beaten twenty twenty one after a bad year, but you know, I've stuck around. I be- I believed um there was reasons for my losses, so that's the reason that I stayed in boxing and then I proved to, you know, Hold myself back from them defeats and when I beat the European champion in Spain, beat um, 
Courtney Pennington from New York, and now you know, I've landed this shot, so I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, yourself and Hogan both went through a similar run, like a couple of defeats in a row, back to back. And I suppose the temptation at that stage is to, to hang him up. How, how close did you come to, to finishing up? Honestly, it was, it was touching. I was like, really, I had a few people who were very close to me say, you know, call it a day now and then. But I still had that, that belief in my head. You know, I, I knew certain things weren't right during my fights. And, you know, I can't sit there and say to people, you know, that weren't right, that went. I had to go and prove it. So when I got offered the came like a raga fight and I just thought that's my chance you know to get back in back in the mix so I was really close to calling it a day yeah you say your family in Ireland obviously your dad is a famous fighter Shamrock Express Shane Erie like he has a such a famous career that fight with Ward has gone down in history hasn't it and he he's fought and won on a fight on a card linked with Brian Peters at the National Stadium what part of Dublin are your family from and who have you still got over here Do you know I've got a, a lot of family over here they were all Pretty from well, Parnell Street, and um, you know, my great granddad was from here. He was um, worked on the boat, and you know, my granddad was from here. He died quite young, but you know, my dad boxed out of Liverpool and Dublin, and you know, I, I've only lived in Liverpool, but I sort of feel like you know, the Irish can feel the Irish in me as well. So you know, I don't think it's like an all English Irish matchup, but. You know, I'm really looking forward to fighting in Dublin. I'm going to be talking to Dennis Hogan. If you have a message for him, now's your opportunity. I'll I'll let him hear it. And uh, what have you got to say before you do fight? Because obviously, a face-to-face press conference is difficult for you guys. Because Taylor and and Cameron have come face-to-face today, but Dennis being based in Australia, you being based in Liverpool, it's going to be more difficult. So you'll see each other on fight night. But what would your message to Dennis be? You know what? I'm not much of a talker, so I get up there. I can just I struggle to get my words out. And, but you know, I've got no message for Dennis. I know he's a he's a professional. And he'll he'll prepare as well as he can for it. And but you know, I'll do exactly the same. And you know, on the night, it's going to be a great fight. Do you're talking in the ring? Yeah, Dennis is kind of cut from the same cloth. I know him a long time. Covered him in the amateurs, and you know, from the start of his professional career as well. So yeah, I think you're both cut from the same cloth. Do you're talking in the ring, and uh, hopefully a great fight. Yeah, that's it. You know, people don't have to get up and badmouth each other to me. We're both there. We're going to prove on the night that we're, it's going to be a great fight. So there's no point in building it up. It's, it is what it is. That being said, are you back and fully hungry to beat Dennis and go further? Obviously, you were close to retiring, but now you're on a winning streak. Do you see him as just a stumbling block in where you want to go? Uh, past them on, onto bigger and better things. Hundred percent. I want to, you know, I want bigger and better things. Like it's a great, great opportunity to be on this card. It's unbelievable, and to fight for an IBO world titles, another big achievement. But I believe the time and it's just perfect for me. And I'm gonna, I believe I'm gonna win the fight and I'm gonna go on to bigger things. I'm ranked number three with the WBA, so you don't know what's gonna come next. But I'm just. You know, I'm planning for big things. Yeah. Did you watch his fight with Sam Eggington? Did you Did you pick up anything from it? No, I watched it. Yeah, but you know, I didn't take much from it. Sort of went. How I thought it would. You know, but um, yeah, just never took much from it. Really, I've done lots of sparring with Sam, and you know, he's a tough, tough lad. So it sort of went. How I thought it was going to go. All right. Well, look, JJ Metcalf. We we'll see you in Dublin on May the twentieth. Appreciate you joining us today for a little chat. And uh, enjoy your training. Thank you very much, mate. Thanks. Well, 
No, nobody ever, nobody listens to boxing interviews the way boxers do. Boxers always find yeah. something to pick up in something that might even yeah. seem innocuous. What did you make of uh, what JJ Metcalf had to say? Yeah, look, I mean, he, look, I, I'm the same too in terms of, um, and you were right about that. We don't really talk talk much, talk much shit about it. And um, he, he's very similar to me in that uh, he's very confident. He does sound confident. Mm. He he wants this a lot, and he. Uh, I also mean he's he's like me too in in that he believes things happen you know things happen for you not to you um you know and the funny thing about it is is you know my, my dream to to go on and unify you know and right now you know you 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 know you'll have I don't know what's happening with the WBA title um you know the the one they call regular but uh um you know, but if he's free with that, I, you know, I was thinking, gee, but you know, this could be the this could be the opportunity to to get in there and then maybe get a unification with the WBA and uh, all sorts of um, you know opportunities like that flashing through my head. And um, you know, but he's got he's got the same. You know, he he wants to get that and go on too. So we both got we 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 both have the dream. We both believe. What what does it come down to then? It comes down to who believes it the most. And um, you know, I'd never, I'd never deny a man of his of his opportunity and his goal, you know, unless he's standing in the way of me hitting mine. So, you know, it's going to make for an explosive fight. You know, it really is. Yeah, agreed. He was a bit nervous uh, in speaking just with the microphone on. He was much calmer the minute the microphone off. He started telling me about. I said, "I'll be over here to watch your dad at the national stadium." Oh no, wasn't allowed to go. And you know, he was he was way more talkative. So he's like nervous with the camera. But at the same time, you could hear that he was confident as well. So he was he was simultaneously both. Um, did seem like a nice fella. And I did mean it when I said, you know, you, you seem similar. Like you've got similar kind of career arcs uh, in, in just in the last couple of years. Although, albeit you've been operating at a much yeah. higher level and you're coming out. And he feels like this is a bit of a homecoming as well, just regarding his... Uh, Family in Ireland, you've got your you've got your Irish uh, heritage, obviously as well, which will never go. So look, I'm really looking forward to it. May the twentieth. Um, I think uh, a lot of the boxing fans are going to be as well. The reaction to the fight has been kind of from from all over social media. It's been huge as well. I'm sure you've tasted a good bit of that too. Man, it's crazy. I, my, my Instagram following has just gone up loads. Um, not that I care about any of that stuff, but there must be a massive interest there for it because I've never seen a jump like that before. So, um, and that was all based in around the, the last week when I when I got um, announced. So yeah, it might be mad. like for people to jump on their phones, pick up their phones, see who I am, and follow me. You know, it's it's just it's just crazy. So I haven't seen that even against Mongia, Charlo, um, and Zoo. I've never seen that. I've never seen it the way it's just after happening. So, so that's that's inspiring. How many of you are coming over from Australia? Are you bringing? Are you bringing? Um, are you are you married, Dennis? Or are you engaged? Or yeah, no, well, yeah, yeah. So we've been, yeah, we're engaged. Um, okay, we're in, yeah, we're engaged. And and um, and fiance, kids coming, or are you just? Is it you know long? Oh, no, I've got I've got I've got a five year old uh, yeah. and a, and a three year old. I know. Are, are they yeah, coming? No. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay, along the way, mate. This time they're not going to come now. They're not going to because we were just home for eight weeks before Christmas, and um, it's it's a long it's a long distance. The uh, Aria has just started school, and Lola has just started uh, kindy, and they're both flying at their doom. Well kindy, they're making friends. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Australians. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, the way they everything is nicknamed. 
Candy. <laughs> every, every, everything is abbreviated. Over I know. Yeah. Are you a boxy? Um, <laughs> yeah. Fridays, mate, and Sparkies and Fippies. Uh, but, um, you know, the, uh, so, you know, it's it's not worth doing that. And again, I, I do think that the opportunity would come up for maybe Crow Park. And if that's the case, they would certainly come then. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, yeah. Uh, Dennis Hogan, all that's left is for us to hang up and for you to go do some hard training, but uh, go to bed for the night because I think it's night time for you and morning time for me. But uh, look, Dennis yeah. Hogan, you've got uh, some hard work ahead of you in the coming weeks, but I really appreciate you coming on the Rocky Road with us today to tell us all about your own Rocky Road back to Dublin for your homecoming, May the 20th against JJ Metcalf, defense of your IBO World Light Middleweight title on a bill top by Katie Taylor versus Chantel Cameron. Decent undercard, lots of other fights that are interesting, but this is the main one that's, I think, taking interest, yours and Gary Cully's as well. So, Dennis Hogan, thanks very much for joining us. And uh, first you, first time on the podcast with us today, but not the last, but that's for sure. That's it, that's it. Get a good win here and we'll kick on again and you can have me on again. <laughs> Come on, no Dennis. Problem. Cheers. <laughs>